Amen. I'm going to share some thoughts from Luke's Gospel. And uh, Izzy and Olivia read part of those passages there. Uh, just the angel, angelic visit to Mary, and then also Mary's song, which is called the Magnificat. Um, and so I'm going to read, um, starting in verse 1 of chapter 2, and this is a great passage to read if you are uh, doing a, uh, just a devotional time before you open presents on your Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, depending on when you open your gifts. But it's a good time to read this passage. Luke chapter 2, verse 1 says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken for the entire Roman world. And this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He was there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. They wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them in the glory. Notice that word, glory of the Lord, shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, there's that word again, glory, to God in the highest heaven and on earth on those whom his favor rests. When the angels had left and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who were lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned. There's that word glorifying and praising God for all the things that had heard and seen, which are just as they had been told. And on the eighth day, the time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him when he was conceived. Amen. I would like to take a few moments to talk about the glory of God and that word glory. Uh, just as I was going through the passages uh, of Christ's birth. I've never preached a message on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve about this. Um, but um, when you've been doing it over 30 years, you, you want to, I have to make it interesting for myself, all right? And, um, you know, that word glory is found over 300 times, whether it's glory, glorified, or uh, it's found over 300 times in Scripture. And even in the passages we read this morning, it's mentioned several times. What does that word glory mean? You've maybe used it. But what does that word mean? It can be a noun or it can be a verb. Uh, the New Testament word is doxa, and so you'll be quizzed on that before you leave. You can't leave unless you know it. Uh, it means brightness, glory, splendor, honor, radiance, greatness, majesty. And so we get our English word, anybody want to guess? Doxology from there. Okay, Doxology, which is a prayer or song that glorifies and praises God. 
Now that word doxa in the New Testament gets its meaning from the, the Hebrew word, the Old Testament word, kabod. All right? And this isn't such a weird word because there are names named after kabod. Okay, not kebab, but kabod. It's a rich word, which really means not maybe what you would think it means. It means weighty or heavy. And it can even be uh, translated unresponsive. You may think, what in the world does that have to do with glory, right? Well, if you really look at the occurrences where the glory of God showed up, it helps us to understand that a little bit more because it shows us that God's glory is something that we can sense, we can feel the weight of His presence, the glory of who He is. An example of this in the Old Testament was Solomon's temple. Um, You had Saul, David, and then Solomon would be the one that would build the temple. David wanted to. But Solomon would be the one that would build the temple, and he would dedicate it. And it's found in Second Chronicles, also in First Kings. But in Second Chronicles seven one through three, it says Solomon was dedicating the temple. They did like thousands of sacrifices, and this does tie in with Christmas. Okay, trust me. All right, all right. And it said when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. What did that look like? How did they know that the glory of the Lord had filled the temple? Well, the priest could not enter the temple because the glory of the Lord filled it. Well, how did they know that it had filled it? Verse 3, when all the Israelites saw the fire coming down, the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshiped and gave thanks to God, the Lord, saying that He is good and His love endures forever. So the glory of the Lord was something that they could sense and that they could see as the fire came down from heaven. If you go back a little bit further, before Solomon, before David, before Saul, there is a sad story in Israel's history. Eli was the high priest and kind of the spiritual leader of Israel. They had settled in the promised land. Eli wasn't necessarily a bad man. He, was, he served God, but he had sons that were following in his footsteps as priests, but they were wicked, they were doing bad things that... Um, priests shouldn't do. And, and now God was allowing the Philistines to come in and to afflict the, Isra- uh, the Israelites. Yeah, And it wasn't going well for them. And they thought, you know what? We need all the help we can get. So we're going to take the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of God's glory, and we're going to take that into battle with us. If we do that, surely God will go with us. And so they took the Ark of the Covenant out of the temple and they took it into the battlefield. And God was so displeased with the Israelites because of their sin that he not only allowed them to be defeated that day, but allowed the Ark of the Covenant to be captured by the Philistines. Um, Eventually it would be returned because the Philistines found out, you know what, it was a positive thing for the Israelites, but for them it was not good. All right, you can go back and catch that story. Um, But it was returned to the temple. But this is what it says in 1 Samuel 4, 18-22. When he mentioned the Ark of the Covenant, so a messenger comes from the battlefield saying, hey, the Ark of the Covenant has been captured. Eli, the high priest, fell backward off of his chair by the side gate. His neck was broken and he died. He was an old man and he was heavy and he had led Israel for 40 years. His daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, so that's Eli's son, had already died and she was pregnant near the time of delivery. And when she heard the news of the Ark of the God had been captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead. They, she went into labor and gave birth. 
but was overcome by her labor pains. And as she was dying, the woman, midwife, if you want to call her, attendant her side, says, don't despair. You've given birth to a son. But she did not respond or pay attention, and she named the boy, what? Ichabod, saying, the glory of the Lord of Israel has departed because the capture of the ark of the covenant of God. The glory of the Lord has departed. It's a sad day in Israel's history. And through a series of events, the ark would be eventually returned. David would be the one that would uh, uh, see that restored to the, um, the tabernacle. So what does all this have to do with Christmas? Well, glory is mentioned several times in our Christmas story. And the word glory captures the events of what Jesus did for us and what God did in sending His Son. So what are some things that we see? I want these to be the takeaways here. First of all, we see that the glory of God is something that we can sense. If you notice in that passage I read in Luke, verse 9, the angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds, right? Appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. So that gives that idea of brilliance and radiance, that it, it kind of lit up the sky, right? And shone around them. And they were what? They were terrified. Why? Because the glory of God overwhelmed their human senses. They didn't know what to do or how to perceive it. They could sense the heavenly presence of beings far greater than them. There was a radiance and a brilliance that they could see and a presence that they could feel. They were standing in the glory of God. You know, the same was true in the dedication of the temple, which I read earlier. First Kings is another account of it. It says in chapter 8, verse 10, that when the priests, they had to withdraw from the holy place because the cloud filled the temple of the Lord. So there was fire above and there was a cloud that filled the temple. And the priests were not able to do their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Now, we don't know if it was just because this cloud filled the temple that they couldn't do their work or if the glory of the Lord was so heavy in the place that they could not stand and perform their duties. Because it says that the people bowed down prostrate to the ground and they worshiped God. The glory of the Lord is something that we can sense, we can feel. And in this case, they could even see the presence of God. It happened in the Christmas story uh, with the angels and even with Mary, right? Um, she was terrified and Joseph was terrified. And the angels said, hey, you're seeing the glory of God, but it's okay. It's a good thing. There's something special about the glory of God because not only is it something we can sense and feel, but it should move us to a place of worship. It should move us to a place of worship. That is point number two. It should move us to the place of worship. It says the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and they had heard, just as it had been told them. They were so excited. They were overjoyed with the angels, and then they go and see the baby Jesus. They couldn't, they couldn't keep it in. They were just telling everybody that they saw, saying, hey, the Messiah has been born today. And they gave praise. They glorified God. So that in that sense, we are giving praise, status, recognition that He is great. He is holy. He is awesome. He is glorious in who He is and all that He does. 
Mary's song, as I mentioned, is called The Magnificent. And she says, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of my humble, my humility, my humble state. And all generations will call me blessed. So Mary's encounter led to worship of God as she experienced God's glory. Amen? The cool thing, this isn't the last time that we see the glory of God mentioned in Scripture. The only other book that mentions the glory of God more than the book of Psalms is the book of Revelations. Right? The glory of the Lord's mentioned a lot there. In fact, Revelation 21, 23 says, you know what? In heaven there will be no need for candles, lights, because the glory of the Lord will fill the city and will fill heaven. His splendor, His glory, His radiance. My prayer as we go into Christmas, lights are a big part of that. We've got the Christmas trees, right? We've got the lights, candles. And this is appropriate because it symbolizes God sending the light of the world to us. But the lights also represent and symbolize His glory that I believe needs to be part of our gatherings with family, with friends. It needs to be the center of all that God does. So, my two prayers. One, I pray that you may experience the glory of God in your own life this Christmas, to sense His presence and that He is great and that He is in you. We need those times where we sense the glory of God, that it's real and that it's tangible. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you remember that day you invited Christ into your heart. You, you remember the feeling of peace and God's forgiveness. You could sense that God was there. Maybe you cried. Maybe you, you worshipped Him. I, I don't know. But, or maybe you were filled with God's Holy Spirit or you were in a time of prayer or driving down the road or in a worship service at a church and you just sense God's presence in a real way. Maybe it caused you to raise your hands. Maybe it caused you to kneel or even to fall prostrate before Him. There's times we feel the weight of His glory and it's not a bad thing. It's a symbol that God is in this place and He's here. Amen? That is my prayer that you may experience God's glory. It's great to have experienced it once or twice in our life, but I believe it is something that I want to experience day to day. It's not, it doesn't always happen every day. There's days that I say, God, where is your presence? Where's your glory? But I, I cherish those days where God's presence is real, that I can feel it and almost touch it. Amen? Secondly, I pray that you can bring the glory of God into your family gatherings this Christmas. Gifts are nice, but they're not a substitute for God's presence and His glory. And you can go through Christmas without really capturing the meaning of Christmas and what it's all about. And we, I'm glad you guys are here. And this is a, a great way to um, prepare our hearts for what Christ did for us and God sending His Son. And I, I just really challenge you to even lead that at home as a mom and a dad to, to make part, that part of your gatherings before you open the presents to really usher in God's presence and to maybe read the Christmas story, to pray, and maybe even just have the children share what Christmas means to them and to, to lead out in prayer. That is how you lead your family altar and to usher God's glory and His presence to where you're at. Uh, some of you maybe will go to a, a Christmas Eve service tonight 
And maybe you won't, but lead that at home if nothing else. Lead that into your place, your gathering, your home. Um, Exodus 33, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. But there again, it's a time Israel had come out of Egypt. It was a great time. But man, they barely get out of Egypt and they sin. They make this golden calf. And God says, you know what? This isn't going to work. I'll give you the promised land, but I'm not going to go with you. If I go with you, I am going to destroy you. I'm going to kill you guys. <laughs> You're stiff-necked. You want to do your own thing. And Moses has time to ponder that, and he goes before God. He says, God, I'm not leaving this place unless you go with me. You know, wow, what, what, what if we did that in our day-to-day, saying, God, I'm not leaving until I sense your presence as I head out these doors today. He says, I'm not going unless you go, your presence goes with us. And, you know, the powerful thing, we as human beings can change the heart of God. And God says, I will go with you. And God's presence did go with them. And Moses even has a bold prayer, show me your glory. And God says, I can't show you all me. No human being can see me and live. I'll show you just the back of me as I depart. Um, But maybe that could be our prayer. God, show us your glory. Today, as we gather tonight, God, show us your glory and let it usher us into your presence and who you are. Amen. I'm going to have those musicians come if they would come and join me back up at the front. Um, amen. And uh, sound team, if you can bring those lights up and uh, just uh, dim, but bring them up. I can see you now. Communion is a time that we celebrate what Jesus did on the cross. And some of those passages talked about it, right? We were rejoice the birth of Jesus, but... He was born a Savior, right? He had a mission and a purpose that after his time here on earth, 33 years, still a young man, he would die on a cross, not for his sins, but our sins. Isaiah 52, 53. See, he would go and he would take our sins upon himself so that we could know redemption, that we could know peace with God, that that relationship that was read in Genesis chapter 3, that Jason read, that that relationship could be restored, that Adam and Eve had in the cool of the day as they walked with God. Isn't that a beautiful picture? God says, I want that. I want it for God's people to be able to walk with me, to sense me, to be in my presence. And the only way that that can happen is if sin is dealt with. And God was so intent on that that he was willing to give us his son to die on the cross for us. Amen. Um, praise God would you stand this morning we're going to sing oh come all you faithful would you take a few moments to worship him and then I'll provide some further instruction as we partake of communion today